Welcome to this talk from Emmaus Road Church in Guildford, UK. Thank you for joining us on the journey, wherever you are in the world. You can find out more about who we are and what we're up to at EmmausRoad.com. Well, it is a real treat for us this morning to have David Bennett with us. He's got an extraordinary story. David is uh, studying theology at Oxford uh, via Australia, as in he's from Australia, and he's now in Oxford. He uh, works with Amy or Ewing, who many of you know or remember from uh, when she came and spoke to us the last couple of times. Thank you. And um, it's a real pleasure uh, privilege to have him with us. So why don't we welcome him? The, the format for this morning is we're going to do an interview rather than just have a talk. Thank you so much. Um, so, David, why don't you come on up? We'd love to. We can't wait to hear what you've got to share with us. Hello. Hello, everyone. <laughs> wow, what a fabulous church. I was just in worship, and just quickly, I, I had a word very strong on my heart for this church. And I, it's quite strong, so. <laughs> but um, I had a word in my own life. Um, and I'll tell you, I'm going to tell you my story this morning, but I, I was in a position in the church, I didn't understand the church. I didn't understand everything about Jesus. And I came in, and it was like this alien space to me. And I had this vision where um, I was at a cliff face, and there were two cliff faces, and between the cliff faces was nothing, just darkness, the unknown. And God said, I want you to step out on the nothing, on the unknown. I want you to trust me, even if none of this makes sense to you right now. Just step, and I will hold you up. And for me, that happened, and I just had to trust him for a year, two years. And then he spoke to me again in a vision, same vision, and I saw this brush, this kind of forest. We call it bush in Australia. And... Uh, <laughs> And I felt like God had put the sword of the word of God in my hand. And he said, I want you to cut through this forest. I want you to cut through this brush. Just trust me. And then again, I had the same vision. And I got to a clearing. And I saw the city of God on a hill, Zion. And I remember just falling down on my knees in the sight of the beauty of God's city and his dwelling place. And he said, I am making a way where there is no way. And I feel like for some of you today, you are those people. You are going to be bush bashing through the brush, through the unknown, through the difficulties, and you're making a way for people to come to the city of Zion. So I just wanted to share that as a word. Um, yeah, and that really impacted me. And actually, that's what birthed my ministry now, is just going around the world and telling my story and making a way where people feel like there is no way. Um, and there really is a way in Jesus. So just wanted to share that this morning. Thank you so much. <laughs> so, um, David, you're from Australia? Yes. G'day. <laughs> G'day, mate. Fair dinkum. How you going? Yeah. yeah. I'm trying to remember what else I remember from neighbours. <laughs> well, you know, I, always, I used to always say when I moved here, how are you going? And then everyone would be like, by car. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, now, quick question: Neighbours or home and away? Oh, definitely home and away. Oh. I like the beach. Yeah. Oh. The thing is, we—I'm well, let you in on a secret. Us Australians, we never watch these shows. <laughs> 
We do in quite large yeah, numbers, yeah. yeah. I spent most of my student days watching one or the other. In fact, if you did it right, you could actually watch one after the other. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, yeah, so I worked, I studied hard. Um, got a fantastic degree in Australian soap operas. Um, um, and so, so just tell us a little bit about, about your life. You grew up in Australia. So I grew up in Australia. Um, I came out as gay at the age of 14, and I went to a kind of Christian school, but came from an agnostic household. And so for me, Christianity made absolutely no sense. And it was just kind of this dry bones religion for me that was in the way of progress. And I remember being in a park near my school with my Russian boyfriend, and we were sitting there, and he had bought me this most beautiful necklace. And I had an amber cross on it with gold flecks through it. And he was Russian Orthodox, and I was, of course, agnostic. And he said, I just want to give this as a gift to you. And I said, I don't like Christianity mission. No, thank you. Like, thanks, but no thanks. And he said, no, really, honestly, I have to give this to you. And he put it in my hand. And at that moment, a man pulled up on a motorbike in the park. It was crazy put his visor up, picked up a stone on the side of the, the bed of the garden, and he actually threw that stone against my back. And I just remember this rage filling me of how can such homophobia exist in society? And I thought it was Christianity that was in the way of progress, in the way of me getting my rights and being able to live the way I wanted to live. And so my ideal was kind of the Parisian apartment with a partner, a poodle, and a Chinese orphan. And that was like my heaven, you know? And we'd have amazing champagne and all our friends over for fun times. It hasn't changed that much. <laughs> the poodle and maybe the Chinese orphan is still there, but <laughs> um, and potentially Paris, we'll see. But um, yeah, like I think for me, that was my ideal. Romantic love was what I worshiped. And I spent most of my young years trying to find a boyfriend, trying to find love, trying to find this, this something that would fill the void in my heart, and I couldn't find it. And so, just tell us what happened. Mm. So, I ended up in a gay love triangle, a lot like a Woody Allen film. Uh, <laughs> so I won't go into the details, but basically I came to the end of myself, and I realized that I was a sinner like everyone else, and that I fell short of my own moral standards, and that I needed something else that I, so I said, I'm gonna be single for a year. I'm gonna do the eat, pray, love thing. <laughs> um, I'm gonna, you know, clear out my life. And so about three months onward from this, when I made this decision, I was at the Christmas dinner table with my uncle. And uh, it's a Greek family, so religion and politics on the table. And I said, well, so you Christians think that you've got the absolute truth. Well, let me tell you, there is no absolute truth. And I've studied postmodern philosophy at university, and I can tell you that you can't even produce the truth out of your mouth with language. So don't even try to talk to me about God. I mean, come on. Your poor uncle. Yeah. <laughs> this is Christmas dinner. Yeah, definitely. And the whole family's like, oh, gosh, it's happening. You know? <laughs> and uh, my uncle just kind of, okay, David, well, that's, it's very interesting what you're saying, but actually you said there's no absolute truth, and that is an absolute truth, and you just produced that with language, so you've just doubly contradicted yourself. Oh, no, it's got me, you know? 
and said, well, I'm gay, and I've read Leviticus 18 and Leviticus 20, and I've read, I've read it all. I've read, you know, Romans 1, 1 Corinthians 6, and I'm just disqualified from relationship with God anyway, so goodbye, and I just, like, stormed out of the room and slammed the door behind me. And my uncle leant over to my aunt, who had been praying for me for 11 years, so just an encouragement on praying for people. Go for it. Um, and said, I see the Holy Spirit over David. He's going to be saved in three months' time. And my mom was like, did you just, did you just see that? Are you sure he's going to be saved? Really? Roy, are you prophesying? <laughs> you never prophesy. <laughs> and he's like, I'm prophesying. It's going to happen. Like, God is going to do this. And so three months later, I'm in a pub in central Sydney, and there's this famous filmmaker there from my university, and I'm a uni journalist, and I wanted her for the student magazine because she was an alumna. And I went up to her and I was like, hey, how are you? Oh my gosh, you've made, your film has made it into the largest short film competition in the world. One year out of university, how did you do this? Come on, tell me, spill the beans. She said, well, do you want the real interview or the interview real answer or the interview answer? I said, I want the real answer. So she said, well, it was God. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> great. Like Vishnu, Allah, which one? Take your pick. And she's like, Jesus. I'm like, oh no, she's one of them. I'm surrounded. <laughs> to which she said, well, David, do you believe in a God? And I said, well, there's definitely something out there. I mean, no to the Richard Dawkins thing. That makes no sense. But like, definitely not organized religion. And like, I'm gay, so no. And she was like, oh, okay, well, you know, that doesn't really matter. If you haven't experienced the love of God, you can't understand all of that anyway. And I was like, what? You can experience the love of God? She's like, yeah, you can experience the love of God. Have you experienced the love of God? And I was like, uh, actually, she said, oh my gosh, I really feel the presence of God right now. And I, like, I have to pray for you, like right now. Jesus, would it be okay if I pray for you? I'm like, who is this girl, you know? I'm like, I've said I'm gay. She should run the other mile, like the other way, in the other direction, and she didn't. She was just like, yeah, okay, well, have you experienced the love of God? And so in this moment, she just says, I'm going to pray for you. And I'm like, okay, you can. I don't think anything's going to happen. And so she lays her hands on me, and she prays the Christian prayer of the century. In the name of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, Holy Spirit, come. You know, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, you know. <laughs> and I go into this kind of cocoon of eternal stillness. And I hear this voice say, do you want me? Hello, <laughs> creator of the universe. And as I hear this voice, this strange, and I, I was praying before the service, I was praying, God, put the sacred oil of David on everyone today. And I felt this oil, like someone pouring a vial of oil all over my head, and it went all the way through my body. I can feel it now. Surging through me, and I was like, whoa, what is this? I've been searching for this for ages, like, this is it. This is the love I've been searching for. Do you want me? A third time, do you want me? And every time I think of this moment, I'm brought to tears because this, the creator of the universe is getting on his knees under me. A sinner like everybody here, we're not perfect, and saying, do you want me? The humility that I heard in that question, the love I heard in that question broke me. It broke me. And I said, yes. The most unconvincing yes you've ever heard. <laughs> I 
with all my objections and all my anger and all my frustration, I said yes. And then I saw a veil over my heart and a pinprick of light come straight in. And I felt this breath enter me. And I was born again. And then I heard this voice say, will you accept my son Jesus as your Lord and Savior? I was like, oh no, it's the Christian God. (laughs) And so I said, yes. And in that moment, the love of God, ineffable as it is, was poured out in me. And I've never been the same. I've never been the same. I had, I fell in love that night, uh, my first love. And really my story is about giving it all for Jesus because he is sufficient, because his love is so amazing. And so, of course, for me, the journey of reconciling my sexuality and everything has been a long one. And I actually found it really hard in the first three weeks. I went to the film competition and I looked at a star in the sky and I said, all right, God, if you're real, I need a rational sign. Now I'm doing apologetics. I need a rational sign (laughs) that you exist because I can't just have these mystical experiences. I need something else. And so this filmmaker's film came on the screen. She won the whole film competition. I ran down to the red carpet. And I didn't know this, but Hillsong Christians had had actually set up this film competition and they prayed, Lord, use it to save people. It's a totally secular film competition. (laughs) And I'm there at the red carpet and there's my filmmaker friend and I, I shout out to her, and she comes over to me with her trophy. Kate Blanchett's there, Jeffrey Rush is there. I'm like, oh my gosh. And uh, <laughs> she says to me, David, God spoke to me tonight and it's been bugging me to tell you that he exists, and you need to know that. Come to church with me on Sunday, and I'll give you that interview. And I just floated home, totally Christian, and God totally answered my prayer in like 20 minutes. And I went to church that Sunday and I looked up at the sign and it was the same church, different campus of my mum, my aunt and my uncle. And God had orchestrated this complete divine conspiracy <laughs> to save me. And the same presence that was there in the pub was like tenfold as I walked in. And I'm thinking, is this a cult? And then I'm feeling this, pro- this presence. And for six months, I just kept walking. I didn't understand, but his presence led me deeper. So, I guess I've got two questions. The first is, um, I'd love to talk a little bit about feeling. Because you talked quite a lot about feeling, and not everyone here is a feeler. That's fine, Uh, yeah. So, so just talk to us about what that means. Yeah. Well, my name's David. Uh, beloved, and I think the Lord relates to me in in that way. And for me, I think I needed to feel Him like that to trust Him. And there has been there have been times in my walk where He's removed that kind of manifest presence and said, "Trust me, even in the unknown." And actually, often it's those moments when we don't feel Him that our faith is the most precious to Him. And he takes us through different seasons. He takes us of seasons in, in the kind of Psalm 23 season by the still water with the green grass. And you can feel him and you know he's there and he nourishes you and builds you. And then he sends you out into the darkness to trust him. And it's that faith. I mean, when that girl prayed for me in the pub, she had faith. She was stepping out and she reached me. 
And she was going through a really hard season where she wasn't feeling God, which is amazing. And so I think actually it's really important that we recognize it's not just all about feeling God. You have thinking, feeling, and doing, and all three matter. And if you reduce your faith down to one or the other, or you remove one, you, your faith is not whole. It's about all three coming together. Um, so thinking, feeling, and doing. That's really helpful. So, so um, just to, so what happens next? You, you're at this film festival. You've um, yeah. you know you've started going to church. You're encountering the love of God. And um, uh-huh. what happens? So, for three years, I basically became the activist in my local charismatic church. Went down to the pastors, said, "Young gay people are com- committing suicide in the church. Hurry up and change it already." and kind of stamping my foot loudly. I used to scream out in the middle of like, I was the nightmare person to have in your church, like, you can't say that, that's anti-feminist, that's anti-gay, you can't say that, no, 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 not right, not right. Like, I don't think that's in the Bible. No. <laughs> like, just was a nightmare. Um, and so for about a year, <laughs> 1.5 years, I went through this phase of, of not, I went to a church that was affirming of my sexuality and said it's fine, and I went to a church that wasn't but loved. And I came to a reckoning point where the Lord said to me, do you fear me? I know you love me, but do you fear me? And it was in that moment where actually I went up front in an altar call on the fear of the Lord, and I, my heart was cleansed and consecrated to God. And something shifted in that moment. I still didn't, I still thought, you know, a gay relationship was fine, gay marriage, 100% in the church. Like, I didn't, for me, the word of God was still a question mark. Did I really trust it or not? You know, was it really, how did you exegete all those passages? I was going through that. And it wasn't until three years after that that I ended up in Strasbourg, France, completely stripped of all intimacy. And I said, God, it's fine for you, but I have a body your spirit, I need another body, like, I need, you know, I need company, you know, to do this journey, and he said to me, that is what my body, my church is meant to be to you, and I said, Lord, I really need an answer on this sexuality thing, because he'd said to me previously, just practice my royal law, just practice my royal law, love me, love others, that's it, just do that, don't worry about all those questions, just follow me, and I'll reveal to you and he said to me in that moment, I need you to give me your homosexuality. And I was like, my precious, not that one. I have lived all my life fighting for gay rights. No, I'm not giving you that one, you know. <laughs> and finally, I, was, I gave it to him in that moment. And uh, it was a really sacred moment. And I just felt the resurrection power fill me. And from that moment, I knew I was called to celibacy. Um, and honestly, celibacy for me was like the most horrific thing. I was like, ew, I will never be celibate. Like, <laughs> before that, like never ever would I think that's okay or whatever. But something happened to me in that moment in the spirit where I just felt him put his power in me and I was able to like, I wasn't so suddenly always looking for a romantic relationship. And I think this is one of the problems is we are brought up on Disney, we are brought up on this diet, this fast food spiritual diet of make romantic love your God and you will be happy. You'll be whole. And I had always been fed that diet, but it had never satisfied me. And it was only until I came to that moment where I was actually willing to give up that idol. Regardless of my sexuality, actually, I was just willing to 
be celibate for him, to give him that. You know, it says in the, in the word that he died on the cross and gave us his body to redeem us. And then it says our bodies have been bought for a price. So actually, we're called to give our body back to him, no matter what, no matter what our sexual orientation is. And then he gets to say how we live that out. And he will always provide. It's not repression. It's not legalism. It's not law. It's a beautiful, sacred marriage between Jesus and us where we exchange bodies. We give him our body and he gives us his on the cross. And that's actually what marriage is meant to represent. And that's actually what celibacy represents as well. It's a sign of heaven because in heaven there will be no marriage. In heaven we will all be completely connected in him. I want you all to close your eyes for a second. And I want you to imagine a world where there was perfect relationship with every single human being and God and perfect relationship between you and every single other human being. I want you to think about that for a second because that's your future. I want that excitement and that faith and that hope to fill you today that you know that regardless of where you are, you are headed for a hope and you can bring that heaven down. You can bring that fullness of relationship down into your life now. Married, single, celibate, gay, straight, that's your destiny and that's what you're called to do on earth. Now open your eyes. Isn't that amazing? Perfect relationship with everyone and God. Like, it's incredible. Like, if you really let yourself process that, it's just, that's how I live now. I just think from that hope down, you know, and it's not all about me and my sexuality. It's about Jesus and I and then everything flows out of that. And that's not always easy. It's not always, you know, you know, there are hard moments as well. I'm not trying to say it's just flick this, your fingers and it's all magically okay, but there is that hope and there is that beauty that we can live out now as a sign of heaven to others. So, um, obviously, you know, your sexuality is a really large part of your story. Yeah. But um, um, you talk about Jesus being sufficient, Jesus being more than yeah. enough. And um, I'm just aware for people mm. here, um, it may not be their, their sexuality may not be yeah. the, the thing. Um, it may be their work or it may be a, a, a relationship or it may be a, you know, a hobby or whatever it is. Mm. So what, what would you say to people here who say, well, you know, it's a great story, David. I'm really happy for you. Yeah. Um, you know, you clearly uh, have had an encounter with Jesus and he's changed you and you have made this choice, but that doesn't really apply. None of that really, yeah. you know, that doesn't, that's not where I'm at. What would you want to say to them? I would want to say just give Jesus time. I had to give him time. I had to trust him. And I had to say, all right, I'm not feeling that right now, but I trust you. I'm going to walk on the unknown. I'm going to walk on the nothingness, and I'm actually going to trust you. And I knew I had other evidences that he was real. But there's a point at which you have to go, okay, I know enough now. I'm going to trust you. Mm. And it took me a good four or five years before I felt stability come into my life and a kind of joy. I mean, I've always had joy, but a particular amazing joy that I now have. But it, it was oh, lots of moments, lots of like reconsecrations, walking day in, day out, you know, and, and so for me it was, it was a matter of really 
trusting him and giving him time, mm. giving him a year, giving him a few years to actually speak to you. Mm. I mean, if it is your sexuality that you are, I think that's a particularly profound thing because we're not just fallen human beings, we're also made in the image of God. And when you're same-sex attracted, I think the thing that's very complicated about it is that it's both the image of God in you as well as the fall connected. The desire for companionship, the desire for a partner, it's not a bad desire. Even sometimes I'll see an attractive man, I'm like, you did really well, Lord. <laughs> and that's fine, that's not wrong, you know. <laughs> Hallelujah. And so, you know, I have a hashtag for myself, it's, it's fabulous made glorious. Um, yeah, so it's like, you know. <laughs> um, and so I think it's about being human with him, it's about being real about those desires, knowing that they're not all just fallen, depraved desires but also recognizing there is a side that's fallen and letting God in to reorder that and change that and bring that into his plans and purposes and his will. And, you know, the amazing thing is, since I've given that fully over to him and I now live celibately, I mean, I'm still open to a relationship with a woman. If God gave me somehow an attraction for a particular woman, I would be okay with that. You know, God is God, he's sovereign, he's Lord, but for whatever reasons, he doesn't seem to do that with most people like myself. He seems to give us this incredible calling. And there are actually thousands of young, same-sex attracted people, gay people, even trans people as well, who are giving that over and saying, Jesus. And there's a new wave coming of people like myself who want to renew the tradition in the church of community, of semi-monastic living, of living alternatively in a kingdom way that I think we need to recover. Um, having married couples, living with singles, you know, having people living in those closer-knit communities where you can share intimacy. And so, yeah, I think there's something new on the horizon with this whole thing. There's hope, there's goodness. It's not about legalism, it's not about law, it's about grace working in our lives. Um, so if there was somebody here who, um, as I said, maybe for them the issue isn't necessarily their sexuality, but they're like in this place where they're like, maybe they've been hurt by the church, hurt, felt like they've been hurt by God, in inverted commas, feel like church may be for everybody else, but it's not for them, feel, who think that it's not rational uh, to be a Christian. What would, you, what, would you, what would you want to say to them? Look, I just want to say, first of all, on behalf of the church, I'm sorry that that has happened. And as someone myself who has been deeply hurt by the church multiple times, I want to say that God can provide for you in that hurt because I think this is where our relationship with Jesus has to be number one. It really does have to be our priority because otherwise we just will get knocked out, offense, all these things come against that relationship. And that's what it's all about. So putting that first, and for me, I had many moments where I was so furiously angry with church leadership when they used terms like gay lifestyle or you know these other this othering language i just be like oh shh, you don't know what you're doing like don't say that you know that just makes the whole gay community feel like they can't be in the church and part of it and so i then had to pray and he said to me david how much grace have i had for you i was like a lot <laughs> and he said to me well how much more then will you have for the church? I was like, okay, Lord, I understand now. And 
that journey of having grace for the church was really a big thing for me, of actually learning how much grace had been extended to me and then how much I could extend to others. And then that created a kind of strength in my heart and in my soul and in my mind that kept me from offense and kept me able to continually extend grace. Even, you know, from the Archbishop of Canterbury, the Pope right down, <laughs> no one's perfect and we can't expect them to be. And so I decided to be the change that I wanted to see in the church instead of pointing the finger and saying, this has to change, this has to change, just being it. And when I was given the permission to contribute, I would, and people would respect that. So that was a big journey. And I think when you have intellectual questions as well, I mean, <laughs> I had so many intellectual questions when I became a Christian, not just about sexuality, but science, everything. And the Lord actually brought me to the Oxford Center for Christian Apologetics, and I was able to learn under... Mm you know, some of the most amazing minds. Um, but I think the thing that keeps coming back, even in those intellectual questions, is there is no absolutely certain answer because God has engineered everything so that we can have enough informed evidence, but we can also not know enough so that we can actually have faith. <laughs> and I think that's one of the mysteries about God's divine hiddenness is he hides himself so that we're not forced to follow him. Because if he manifested himself right now in front of us, we'd probably all be on the ground completely freaked out because <laughs> it's like his glory. And we would be forced to believe because there he is. That you can't argue with it. And so he came, he put flesh on, and he said, here I am. And he gave us access to him in a way that we could relate to that gave us a choice, gave us a, wi a, free, a will, you know. And actually the paradox of the human will is that we have a human will to give it to God. <laughs> so in a sense, the true freedom of the will is when it's extinguished in God himself. And that's an amazing paradox about our relationship with him is the greatest good we can do is to give our will over to him um, and to surrender it. So yeah, that, just a few tidbits I've learned through that. There's a lot to say, and I've, we've only got 15 minutes. I don't want to... Um, so today is Alpha Sunday. Yes. Uh, if somebody was here and... Uh, maybe they've been brought by a friend and yeah. um, they're thinking, I'm not really sure what I believe. Um, I'm not sure really what I think. What would, what would you say to them about Alpha? I think Alpha is an incredible opportunity, wh wherever you are, whether you're still thinking about faith in Christ or whether you're on the other side and you're like, I'm pretty, but I still have questions. I think Alpha is just an incredible time to just be with people and be with God and to really inquire and just clear out that space in the craziness of modern life and say, I'm really going to think about this. I'm really going to consider this. And I'm really going to commit to seeking Jesus. I mean, when I'm doing evangelism and speaking to people about Jesus, one of the things I say is every single human being on earth needs to consider Jesus at least once. Because he has changed history. He's the center of history. Everyone, you know, regardless of their position, has to actually read Scripture and have a look at the Gospel of John and actually consider who is he. And actually, to be an intellectually informed person, you have to be able to, you know, actually look into him and actually go, is he who he says he is? And I think Alpha is that space to do that in community. It's non-threatening. No one's going to try to, you know, put that... On you. I mean, I've done it so many times where I've 
just been a table leader and it's just beautiful with people just asking questions and seeking for themselves and some people come to know Jesus, others don't, and that's fine. You're completely free. It's that non-threatening space that I just think is really valuable. We need more of that in society, actually, where we can come and think about these things. So that's why I recommend Alpha um, to really come and look at who Jesus is. Yeah. That is amazing. David, thank you so much. Thank you so for much, Phil. So we really appreciate God it. Let's bless give him you. a... Thank you. Thank you very much indeed.